Thanks for spending time with Fusion Community Church through our podcast. These can be accessed anytime through iTunes or on our website, fusioncommunity.church. We hope you enjoy today's message from Pastor Andrew Fetter. Well, you know, throughout this series we've been in, this idea of uncertain times, that kind of the unspoken assumption is the fact that we have we have Christ available to us. We have a restored relationship with our Creator, with our Heavenly Father, with our Savior. We have access to His Spirit in our lives. These incredible, incredible things. And, and we haven't really talked about what does it look like to face uncertain times without the redemptive uh, access we have to God. The, the relationship being restored, being risen back to life, no longer dead in our sin. Uh, sometimes I think we can just kind of jump past that into content that's like actionable for us. Like, how do I need to respond? How do I need to be obedient? What do I need to believe? And those kinds of things. And, and we could kind of leap over that. Um, before I get into the message today, you know, in the, the midst of all the uncertainty we've experienced over the last year and a half, I would assume, and this is an assumption, uh, so take it I would assume that, that there's been times where you in the last year and a half have invited people to participate in worship here at Fusion. Or those of you online, you've shared your feed, hoping just the right person might see it. Maybe you've even heard a message, and you think to yourself, you know, I think this just would really connect with this person. And so you've sent them the podcast, or you've sent them the YouTube link, or whatever, hoping that they might get out of it what you hope that, that you've been impacted by, of God's faithfulness to you. But the, the truth is, oftentimes, that's a frustrating thing. When we invite people, when we share things, if they don't watch it, if they don't reflect on it, if, if, uh, if they don't come to, to worship with us, that can be a very very frustrating thing. And you know, the truth is there's a lot of people that are, that are many steps away from darkening the doors of a church building for a worship gathering. They're many steps away from clicking play on a, on a, on a video message from a church. Um, but there's something happening this summer that uh, is, is pretty awesome that's happening right here in Schoharie County where you can invite somebody and it might be exactly the thing. It's on a soccer field. It's not in a church building, but they're going to hear the gospel told in a pretty compelling way. On Sunday, August 1st, uh, the FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes organization that focuses on, allows student athletes to be a a platform for discipleship, Um, they are actually bringing Daryl Strawberry to Middleburg on Sunday, August 1st. And for $10 a person, you can go and hear his story. There's a whole evening planned, some worship planned. Uh, It's going to be outside at the soccer complex out uh, just south of Middleburg on Route 30. Um, We'll share the link this week. But as a church, we're participating and supporting to help make this happen. Uh, I, I don't know if you know who Daryl Strawberry is. Like He was one of those like, huge athletes when I was a kid. Uh, MVP winner, Rookie of the Year winner, won World Series. Uh, just an incredible, incredible athlete. And his life in the midst of professional baseball went in the gutter quick, and God rescued him. And so his story, his testimony is going to be shared as he's sharing at many, many places uh, over the last few years in an ever-increasing way, and God's giving him a platform to see a lot of people come to salvation. So I just want to share that with you. If that's something you'd say, hey, you know what? You may not be a fan of baseball, but you have a buddy or a friend that is, and man, if they could go hear Daryl Strawberry, you could buy three tickets, pay for their tickets, say, hey, come with me. Let's go out there. Uh, they're, they're looking to have uh, some food vendors. They're going to have live music with, with a worship team and, and some other folks sharing as well, testimonies about battling uh, addiction. So uh, just want you to know that that's available to you. And, uh, and we'll share the link so you can be a part of it. And, and for those of you that say, hey, I might be interested to help serve, uh, we'll make that available to you this week as well. So, hey, today uh, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2. You can turn there with me. We'll have it up on the, the screen as well. But, but uncertainty in life oftentimes brings discouragement. Whether we're inviting someone to church or we're sharing a feed and they don't watch it and we know it would help them and we know Jesus has answers for them. 
But in uncertainty, in the uncertainty of the last year and a half, I would assume, there's been days where you've been very weary, you've been discouraged, you've been depressed, maybe lethargic, like, I don't even know if I want to do anything right now. And you don't know, when you don't know how things are going to turn out, it's easy to kind of feel paralyzed. It's easy to be discouraged. I think you would agree with me that uncertainty brings discouragement, but you might also you might disagree that when things in life are certain, you can still get discouragement. I mean, when things are predictable, when things are sure, when you have everything that you need, when you even have more than you need, when you have plenty and, and, and everything that you could hope to have or need to, to live comfortably in life, you have. Oftentimes we think, well, if everything was going the right way, I wouldn't have this discouragement. So the question then is, when things are certain in life, when our needs are met, when everything's kind of moving in the right direction, is discouragement still possible? Well, let me give you kind of a, a simple but, but I think relevant illustration of this. There's probably been times in your life where you've walked into your living room or your kitchen, and you look at that couch, or you look at that table, you look at that chair, you look at that floor, you look at the color of paint on the wall. You know, guys, you walk in and you see that 40-inch TV, and you're just, it, it's working fine, the couch is in good shape, the kitchen table's in good shape, the wall, it looks fine, but you just, you're just kind of frustrated with the color. You just, you just want something new, you want to spice it up, right? You know, that 40-inch TV, it's fine, it's working great, but man, I saw that 50-inch smart TV, and I just can't stop thinking about it, Right? Well, the question is, you go out, you buy the new sofa, you buy the new table, you, you, you go on Facebook Marketplace and you browse to replace something you already have that's perfectly fine that you might even be able to sell on Facebook for more than you bought the old thing for or the new thing for, right? How many of us have done that? It's like you buy something for 200 you sell the one you have for 250 and you're like, man, this was a great idea and it just completely brightens up the room. It just changes the room. How long until you start looking at that and being like, I'm just ready for something new? How long until that 50-inch smart TV doesn't look as good because you were at Best Buy and you saw the 65-inch TV? How many times in your life do you have every reason possible to be satisfied with where you're at and yet there's still discouragement? You have everything you could possibly need, more than what you need. You have margin in a lot of ways and yet there's just not enough. When things are certain and when things are uncertain, discouragement, frustration, and irritation are still possible. And what if I told you the Bible shows us clearly discouragement is present in our lives when things are uncertain, but it also shows us discouragement can be present when things are pretty certain, when things are going our way. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we have a book of the Bible written by a guy who historically is probably the wealthiest man to ever walk on planet earth. He was also the wisest man who ever lived. His name is Solomon. He's the king of Israel and he's the son of a guy you might know named King David. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon's reflecting on his life and, and everything that his wisdom is pointing to and the wealth he has that, that, that's afforded him the opportunity to experience. And this is what he says about having access to everything a person could dream of. In verse 1, he says, I said to myself, he's reflecting on his life, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while, while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. He's saying there's this dichotomy within us as human beings, that he's striving for wisdom, but he still behaved in foolish ways. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. 
I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. Kids, if you don't know what a concubine is, today's Father's Day, so ask your mom, okay? Ask her. She would love to have that conversation. He says, I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. I want to jump down to to verse 17. He kind of continues on in this for a bit. But he puts a capstone on these thoughts in verse 17. And he says this. I love the way the New Living Translation translates it. So I came to hate life. Solomon says, I'm not getting out of life what I expected, what I was looking for, what I was seeking. He says, because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. You ever had something that's kind of hanging out in your mind, something you kind of set yourself up for and you think, man, man, this is going to be really awesome. When I get there, when I buy this, when, when I have that experience, it's just going to be so great. So you raise the bar, you raise the expectations, and they're so high. And yet when you actually get there, not only is it just less than what you expected, but maybe it's even depressing or disappointing. My wife and I have, we have three daughters, and one of the best things about being a parent are birthdays and Christmases, you know, getting to, to buy gifts and wrap them and then present them. And, you know, with three girls, I've learned that there's this unique gift they have that when they open something they love, they tear the paper open and, and, and their mouth opens wide and they, and they seem like they're making a sound, but it's inaudible to the human ear and dogs from the neighborhood start running. Like they just, it's like you just see them, but you can't hear it, right? It's just this high pitched thing. And, and it's fun when you get it right, when you get the gift that's right, whether that's kids, whether that's anybody, right? When they open it, you're just like, that's exactly what they wanted. And, and the, the thought that you put into it, the creativity, the time that it took to figure that out, and they just absolutely love it. The, the problem is my wife and I are terrible at that. We buy gifts that we think they're going to love, that, they, that we think are going to be perfect. And a lot of times they rip open the wrapping paper and they make the high-pitched squeal and then they look at it and they're like, hey, what's next? And they're on to the next thing. And I'm like, do you have any idea how much that costs? Like, you're not going to take a second to even ask if you can open it. You just want to open the next present. Like, do you know how many kids would like flip out if they got what you just got? I remember Christmas of 2019, just a few months before COVID hit, my wife and I decided to get our girls one big gift for Christmas. And, and we had seen them, they, they played on a hoverboard at their cousin's. They, their friends had had them and they, they really wanted a hoverboard. We said, all right, you know, we'll spend a hundred bucks a piece and get them a hoverboard. And we even decided to mix it up a little bit. We, for our oldest, we got a, a battery operated scooter. So that way we were like, this is good. It'll teach them to share because they don't know how to do that at all. And so two hoverboards and an electric scooter and they can take time, take turns and put on their helmet and all of that. And and, and Christmas comes, and they open them, and they get super excited, and they're on them for like 24 hours straight down in the basement. 
And in the last two years since then, I think they've been on in maybe 30 minutes. Like, they just sit in the corner of the basement, collect dust. We, we went to plug them in, and we don't even know where the chargers went anymore. Like, they're gone. I mean, if I would have had a hoverboard in the mid-80s, I would have lived on that thing. You know, maybe that's your kid. Maybe they love it. Mine, mine loved it for a day, and then they were on to something else. And now I look at, like, I see them in the corner of the basement, and I'm just like, man, that looks like fun. And I got on one for a few minutes, and now every time I look at one, my wrist starts hurting. And it's just like... <laughs> That's what's going to happen if you get on that thing, buddy. So there's like this, you know, God's divine intervention is warning me from doing that. Now, here's the deal. I think people go through life giving themselves everything that their eyes desire. And it doesn't last. It doesn't satisfy. I think we've all been there. We've tried a lot of things. We've tried possessions. We've tried entertainment. We've tried travel. We've spent lots of money on stuff. We've invested lots of time in relationships that, that, that didn't last or disappointed. We've spent a lot of energy on hobbies or a lot of energy on work to try to impress somebody that's there for years and all of a sudden they take another job and they're not even there anymore and we just feel frustrated for all the time we wasted and we think it's not everything I thought it would be, this life. I mean, Solomon is the, the prime example of this. He has everything anybody could possibly want. He says, I, he wrote it. He says, I literally, I gave myself everything I wanted. I just went and bought it. I ate it. I had it. I experienced it. I went there. I did that. I tried it. And when I considered it all, when I stepped back, it was meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. When things are hard, when things are uncertain, unpredictable, we know discouragement is a part of that season, right? When you go to all the doctor's visits and you do all the treatments and the tests come back and it doesn't look like there's progress, it's not working, you don't know how it's going to turn out, discouragement is a part of that. When your spouse leaves and, and it doesn't look like there's any sign they're coming home, it's discouraging. But, but we often think that when things are going along well, that we escape discouragement. That's just not true. Oftentimes, there's a lot of discouragement when, things, when we have what we need and when things seem to be going well. We battle discouragement. And then what do we tend to do as human beings? Well, we have a tendency in, in our Western culture mindset, we have a tendency to just make our lives busier so we can kind of push it down. Right? Get more things done, be, be more productive, have more on the calendar, hoping that if we, if we can just create a, such a busyness for our minds, we don't have to think about whatever it is that might make us discouraged. We won't have to have that feeling hanging over our heads if we can just fill our day from sunup to sundown and just barely make it through. Other, others of us, when we're discouraged, we try to manufacture encouragement by doing things that make us feel good about ourselves, doing things that temporarily will distract us from whatever it is that discourages us or frustrates us, if we even know what that is. It takes courage. Whether the times are certain or uncertain, it takes courage to slow down, step back, and face what's true. It takes courage to resist the urge to kind of bury that feeling and keep moving forward. It takes courage to admit, yeah, yeah, there's something going on. There's something that isn't as God wants it to be. There's something that needs to be addressed, not ignored, not pushed down, not, not, not to be distracted from. There's something to face. And if you wonder if this is you, the battle with discouragement in different seasons of life, maybe at times you look around and you feel what Solomon felt. You felt authentically that statement, I hate life. Here's some signs that you're on a slippery slope heading in that direction. Here's some things you might say without thinking about the words coming out of your mouth. That th These words can be a gift from God to say, hey, there's an opportunity here to slow down, to step back. And, and let the Holy Spirit help you examine what's really going on beneath the surface. Our, our feelings and emotions are given to us as signs of something deeper that, that God wants to get into if we give him permission. 
And, and what's awesome is we're, we were in Ephesians, or Ecclesiastes 2. In Ecclesiastes 2, uh, Solomon's kind of writing this summary statement of reflecting on his life. But in, in number one, he actually identifies some of the feelings he has. So in Ecclesiastes 1, the first we see he's frustrated. Maybe often you feel frustrated. When you're driving home from work, you're just exhausted, and it's a word that comes out, I'm just, man, I'm just frustrated with this. Maybe it's, there's been a lot of frustration in your life over the last year and a half. Sometimes, often, frustration comes out in the form of anger with those that are closest to us. Maybe you've even said to yourself, maybe you've had a conversation with your spouse, and, you know, I just, I, yeah, I know I was angry. I'm sorry. I just don't know why I'm so short lately. I just don't know why I'm angry all the time. I'm just mad. It might be rooted in frustration. Well, Solomon felt that way in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes. Verse 3 says this, what do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes it's frustrating. Another translation says, life is useless, all useless. You spend your life working, but what do you have to show for it? The world just stays the same. Solomon was frustrated. A second one is found in the very next verse, one that all of us have, have heard probably a lot, and we've probably spoken it over the last year of our lives. When people get to the place where they're having a hard time just keeping up with everything, you say, Hi, how you doing? I'm just tired. Man, I'm tired. I just, you know, I'm, I'm sleeping, but man, I just can't seem to get ahead of this. You know, if you search two words as a phrase, you can search on Google a phrase by putting it in quotations, and it'll search the two words in combination. If you search these two words, pandemic fatigue, you'll get over a half a million results. Now, I would assume a couple years ago, you wouldn't get near that many. What doctors wish people knew about pandemic fatigue? Five tips for how to handle and navigate pandemic fatigue. How to make sure that pandemic fatigue doesn't become pandemic burnout. All these types of things. I'm tired. I'm tired. All this sounds like a lot of bad news. Solomon says in verse 5, he says, The sun rises and sunsets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south, then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea's never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. It's just exhausting. He's speaking about the routines and cycles of the world in which we live. And he's just fatigued by it. And lastly, there's a third one. Maybe this is you. The end of verse 8, Solomon says this. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. He's saying, I know what it's like to be unfulfilled. I know what it's like to be unsatisfied. I know what it's like to have everything I could possibly have, more than most people could ever imagine or dream. And yet it's not enough. What I thought was going to satisfy me, what I thought was going to scratch that itch, it did for a time, but it didn't last. It didn't fulfill me. When things in life are uncertain, it's easy to feel trapped, to feel stuck. But the reality of our lives is they are cyclical. And in that cycle, in those patterns and routines we build, we can feel frustrated, we can feel tired, we can feel unfulfilled. Even though we may have the lives right now we once dreamt of having at another season of our life. And Solomon's there, he has everything he could dream of, and it still seems meaningless. The world keeps spinning, and he's irritated by the repetition of it all, and it's very discouraging. You know, it sounds like Solomon needs someone in his life to bring some encouragement. Maybe you're here, and, and you feel what Solomon is feeling. Maybe you're joining us online, and you feel it. You just need some encouragement. Well, you know, it's interesting, parked in the center of this world, of this word, encouragement is the word courage, right? 
It's parked right there in the minute, in the middle. And so the question then is, well, what do these two words, encouragement and courage, have to do with each other? I mean, all of us would probably say we would love someone to say about us when, when we're in a casket. You know, they were just, they, they spoke, they helped develop courage in me. Or they were such an encouragement to me. We, we want to inspire courage in others. We want to be an encouragement to others. But sometimes we often forget that courage is something that grows out of where we experience encouragement. Courage grows out of where we experience encouragement. So think about it. If you were encouraged when you were younger to focus on sports because you were just gifted, you, you had coordination, hand-eye coordination, then, then if you were encouraged to keep on with sports and you enjoyed it, your courage would grow out of that encouragement. And every time you stepped up to the plate, every time you got behind the free throw line, you would have a new courage because people spoke into your life. The tricky thing is that encouragement we receive from others quickly becomes the way in which we measure our worth and our value, especially when we're young, but this occurs in, in adulthood as well. So here's a problem, though. What happens if you have a career-ending injury? Where will you find your courage then? What, if, what happens if when you get to the end of high school and you've been given so much praise or so much encouragement, you start to, to look at colleges and options for scholarships and nobody says you're good enough for that level? Where are you going to find your encouragement? Where are you going to find your courage if your encouragement dries up? Courage grows out of where you experience encouragement. Maybe, maybe you were, you're really good at something and people just talk about you and they, they encourage you and this courage develops in you because you can do something, it seems like, better than other people. At least that's what they say. The tricky thing is you start to see your worth and your value in what it is you can do. But what happens if there's an accident? And it's something you can do with your hands, but after that accident, your hands don't work the way they used to. What happens if there's a financial crisis and you don't have the margin to, 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 to do what it was that you once did? What if you get an illness? What if you make a mistake and permanently the opportunity to do that thing is taken from you? Where will you find your courage if encouragement dries up and it's related to something you do? Courage grows out of where you experience encouragement. Maybe you heard a lot when you were younger. People encourage you because of your appearance. Maybe you got attention because of your appearance. You were pretty. You were, you were handsome. And that encouragement built within you a courage socially with peers and with other people where you can quickly begin to see your worth and value wrapped up in your appearance. What happens when people stop talking about how you look? What happens if you hit an awkward stage? What happens when you inevitably age? Where will your courage be found then? The word encourage literally means to make or put in courage. It's like a deposit. Encourage is putting deposits of courage in someone's life. So this means that your choice to encourage people in your life literally builds courage in them like it's a wall, like it's a wall of bricks. I mean, think about the implications, parents, of the power of our words in our kids. We get to build what it is they see their value in. We get to build courage in our kids. We get to do that in each other's lives. We have the power of words at our disposal, and they can inspire courage, or they can inspire fear and doubt and insecurity and frustration and worry and division, as well as a lot of other destructive traits. So how do you use your words to build courage in others so that you don't destroy courage in others, and, and how do we figure out how to build courage the right way in a way that lasts? 
if you primarily try to build courage in what someone does or in what they're good at or, or how they look, you are building something that can disappear like that, can be gone. When they can't do it anymore, when somebody says they're not as good as you think they are, or they don't look like they used to, or they make a mistake and, and the, the permission they had to do it is, is taken away from them. Solomon is here. He needs someone to encourage him, to use words to shape how he saw the world, how he saw himself, and to see God's purpose in everything that was playing out. But how do we encourage one another in a way that's sustaining? How do we build courage in a way that lasts, that doesn't fade, that doesn't change? Well, we start with discovering the one who doesn't change, who doesn't fade, and that's God. In uncertain times, the, the, the title of this week five message, build courage in one another that won't fade by speaking what is true about them in Christ. Encourage one another by speaking Jesus. Then no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, we have something solid to find our courage in, right? It won't fade. It doesn't matter if the day is good or the day is bad. We're living on a foundation that is unshakable because it's built on a savior who doesn't change. What does this look like? Well, it's impossible to live this out without slowly and consistently learning about who we are in light of Jesus throughout God's word and then speaking that into each other's lives. So if you want to encourage someone when things are uncertain, if you want to build courage in them in a way that won't fade, I have some verses for you to get started with. Now, the Bible is filled with verses that just come along practically, and the sh they shape the way that we think. They shape where we get our value and our worth from. God is just, he, he uses his word in so many powerful ways, and there are literally hundreds and hundreds of verses in scripture that point exactly to who God is, what he's done, who we are, and what he's calling us to do. And, and so he makes it so clear, and yet so often, if we don't engage with his word, we'll never discover these incredible tools that, that help build that foundation we can live our lives upon. And so I want to encourage you. It's going to come in three minutes. It's 927. At 930, there's an email that's going to drop in your inbox, and you can go back and revisit it. All right? You might even be able to open it as I begin to work through these. I thought 930 would give me enough time, and I'm three minutes early. So uh, there, take that, Pastor Corey. You always say I'm late, and I'm early for once. So uh, so there we go. Uh, it happens. It's a miracle. So, uh, so anyways, I'm going to run through 10 things, 10 ways that we can, and these are just examples. These are, this is not in any way an exhaustive list. These are just examples of the power of God's word to, so that we can encourage one another in such a way that when we face uncertainty or certainty, when we face discouragement, frustration, irritation, when we're lethargic and we just feel paralyzed, in any scenario, we have courage built on a foundation that lasts because it's rooted in who God is and who Christ is. And so the first one is this. If someone feels alone or dismissed or not valuable or afraid, Joshua 1.9, all right? You alone, you feel alone, dismissed, not valuable or afraid. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He'll be with you wherever you go. No matter what circumstance, no matter what situation you're in, no matter what anybody else has to say about you, you're feeling alone, dismissed, not valuable or afraid. Be strong and courageous. I can't do that in my strength. Don't be afraid. I can't do that. Don't be discouraged. I can't do that. No, you can because I'm the Lord your God and I'll be with you wherever you go. 
Now, it's great to kind of memorize this verse and do it to ourselves. It's far more powerful when we gospelize one another. When we present, and this is why relationships with one another are so necessary as brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to speak the truths of the gospel back and forth. I need them spoken into me, and you need them spoken into you on a regular basis. A second one, if someone feels weak and neglected or powerless, Isaiah 41.10, weak, neglected, powerless. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. That's who I am. I'm in charge. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You feel weak, neglected, powerless? Don't fear, I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. I'm your God. I'll strengthen you and help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. A third one. If someone is feeling timid or scared, 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. We oftentimes think of fear that it's an emotion. It's not. Scripture very clearly, Paul identifies that fear is a spirit, a spirit that hovers over us, a spirit that tries to intimidate us. And God has not given us that spirit of fear and timidity. He's given us the, power, the spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of self-discipline. So you feel timid or scared? Recall that verse. Speak that verse into each other's life. A fourth one, if someone feels insecure or limited. 2 Chronicles 15, 7. But you, take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. There's a reward coming. You feel insecure, limited, don't let your hands be weak, don't falter, because what you're committing to do, what what God has called you to, is going to be rewarded. The fifth one, if someone feels hasty, you feel like you you got to hurry, you got to capitalize on it before you run out of time, Psalm 27, 14, no, 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 wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage, there's that word, wait for the Lord. How, 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 we don't even think about the reality that patiently waiting on God actually brings courage to us. Why? Because we're not trying to make things happen, we're letting him orchestrate the things that happen. Patience is taking our hands off. Say, okay, God, I trust you. So what's going to happen? Our confidence in him is going to grow, and our courage in him is going to grow, and it's going to grow in a way that can never be taken from us, no matter what happens. Number six, if someone is feeling, you can pull out your email if you want to follow along with me now. It should be there. Uh, And this is why you want to sign up for mass emails. Hopefully you have. If someone is feeling unloved or in the middle of conflict, or you don't know what decision to make, Daniel 10, 19, and he said, O child, greatly loved, that's who you are, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. God still speaks through his word. He's speaking right now if you're willing to listen. I'm speaking to you. You are dearly loved greatly loved. Don't be afraid. Peace is with you. Be strong and and of good courage. And as he spoke, I was strengthened. And I said, Lord, speak for you've strengthened me. Number seven, if someone's feeling intimidated and like they can't stand what they're facing, that they feel that they're all alone. Jesus says in Matthew 14, 27, Jesus said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Right? If you feel intimidated, if you feel small, If you feel like you can't stand against what you're facing, Jesus wants you to be reminded that you can take courage. Why? Because he's with you. I'm with you. The one who's overcome the world. Don't be afraid. Number eight, if someone feels trapped or persecuted for their faith, from a prison cell, Paul writes this in the letter to Philippi in chapter one. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me, as bad as it is, as depressing and discouraging as it could be, 
has really served to advance the gospel. You feel trapped, you feel persecuted, maybe God has a purpose in it. As a result, it's been clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. You see those words pop up, encouraged, courage, fearless. He's writing this to a church that immediately is just like, oh, Paul's in prison, what are we going to do? we got to get him out. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. The gospel is advancing because I'm here. If he hadn't been in prison on that day, we may not have this letter to the book, uh, the book, the book of the Bible we call the Philippians. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord here have been encouraged to speak the word of God courageously and fearlessly. Number, number nine, if someone feels surrounded by darkness or lost, if you feel distant from God as if no one cares about you, Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If he's God and he's sovereign and he's my savior, what do I have to fear? He's my light. I don't have to be afraid of darkness. He's my salvation. If someone feels, number 10, if someone feels like they're a failure to God, ready to give up and walk away, 1 Chronicles 28, 20, be strong and courageous and do the work. Just kind of flat out, just do the work. Do the work God's called you to. Be who God's called you to be. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He won't fail you. You might fail him, but he won't fail you. He won't forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. And then the last one, if someone feels like they can't trust the people around them, or they're confused and they don't know what way to go, Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. You don't know where to go? You feel lost? You don't know if you can trust the people around you? Trust God with everything you've got. Lean not on your perspective or your understanding or your opinion or your political view. In all your ways, submit to him, and he'll make your paths straight. Now, this is just 11 statements of encouragement in, in, in the God who doesn't change. In the Savior who has already rescued you and has already set you free. And those who are free in Christ are free indeed. And he is always, always, always faithful to his word. So far throughout this journey, we've talked about uncertain times. In uncertain times, the first one, we're, we're desperate for peace. And we're told in John that Jesus, we find peace in Jesus greater than anywhere else we could find. Peace is found in Jesus that won't fade. In uncertain times, the second one, we have to fight the right fight, the battle inside our own mind. Learning to take thoughts captive. The third one, in uncertain times, we don't want to sit on the fence. We don't want to just kind of glide or coast. Don't be, hot or, don't, uh, don't be lukewarm. Be hot or cold. Last week we looked at in uncertain times, examine what you're sowing during the uncertainty because you will reap it. It's a promise. It's a part of the way God designed this world. In, in what you sow in the difficult times, you will reap in the future. And then today, in uncertain times, build courage in one another that won't fade, and is built on what, what's true for us with Jesus. Now, there's two requirements for this. One, to regularly be in, involved, engaged in the Word of God. This doesn't mean you have to read the Bible an hour a day. Read a verse. Are you regularly engaged in the Word of God? If you're not, you will lack the content that can change your life, the truth. But then you also have to have relationships with other disciples, where you're speaking into and listening to each other speak the gospel into you.
If you don't have those relationships, you're going at it alone. And if you don't have the truth of the word of God changing the way you think, you're doing it alone in darkness. And it's a really risky place to be. The choice is yours. Walk through life with brothers and sisters in Christ, learning to speak what's true about who we are in Christ to one another and and, and allow our courage to be built on the encouragement of God's word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today. It's It's just filled with so much we can connect with and so much we can align with. We understand where Solomon's at. It's amazing to think that the wisest man who ever lived is also someone who struggled so much. You would think that wisdom would give him the ability to rise above the feelings of the day, but God, it's just, he's a human being just like us. And we see those scattered all throughout scripture, whether we look at Moses, whether we look at Noah, whether we look at, at David, whether we look at, uh, you know, anybody, Joshua, we look at people in the New Testament like Peter or Paul or, or James. Uh, we're even told in Hebrews that Elijah was a man just like us, that, that these are human beings navigating the reality of, the, of, of life in faith relationship with you. We thank you for the victory you've brought to us, the freedom that you give. Would you help us to learn to live in that freedom more and more and to live in that freedom together as a fellowship, as a family? That we would experience the beauty of relationship, of disciples making disciples and walking that out throughout life. In your awesome and holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen.